I'm David Legere of Woodhall Press, and you're publish this over lunch. I'm joined today by Erica Bueller. Erica is currently the associate editor at Denver Life Magazine and is also a freelance writer, having written for uh, the Hartford Current, uh, Connecticut Food and Farm Magazine, Dining Out Magazine, and Havenly Interior Design. Uh, she graduated from the University of Connecticut in uh, 2017 with a degree in English and hopes to return to school for her master's in the next few years. Uh, actually, I didn't ask you, are you planning on going back to UConn for your master's? Um, I'm considering some places out here um, in know, Colorado, right. but it, the doors are always open and uh, the possibilities <laughs> are endless. All right. Um, and lastly, uh, Erica's contribution, Stranger Roommates, which is hilarious, is in the upcoming anthology, uh, Flash Funny Women. And now that's coming out March uh, 2021. Uh, so please, and if you want to get an advanced reader copy, email me at davidwoodhallpress.com. I'll get one to you. I have a sitting in my living room, and they are amazing. <laughs> so uh, I'm very excited. In fact, actually, Erica, you, you should be getting yours, I think, next week. Oh, great. I'm mailing a few out each day. It's like my goal is to I keep mailing out uh, some con uh, contribution copies. Great. Okay. So thank you for being here today. Would you tell us something you found incredibly inspiring in the literary world this year? It's kind of the, the big question I've been asking everyone so far this year. And uh, the answers have been really interesting. Very yeah. different. Um, and well, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Um, so when I read this question, uh, the first thing that came to mind was how many book clubs I've been seeing pop up. Yep. Um, so books and reading as a pastime are clearly having like a resurgence, especially in this digital age. Um, and the amount of people who want to start book clubs or who are looking for book clubs, people who are creating niche book clubs, like a sci-fi horror book club specifically. I mean, they are popping up everywhere. I'm seeing them all over Facebook um, and just all kinds of places. So that to me says that people are still interested in reading, which is great. Um, they're interested in reading maybe suggestions from other people, um, getting into something that they're not normally in. So I think that's great just to know that people are still reading. Um, and uh, just kind of supporting print books in general. I mean, I know people have ebooks, but book clubs to me is more about the physical book, reading it, um, and kind of having a discussion with other people, like-minded people. So I think that's really great. I've been seeing a lot of that this year. So that's definitely really inspiring. It's in, you said two things that struck out to me. Well, second is ebook, but the first is the statistic uh, that people are reading. I actually read uh, recently that 2019 had seen a huge growth in readership, uh, the highest since 2010. And that the average reader purchased 12 books uh, in 2019. I don't know what it's going to look like in 2020, but what you're seeing is a resurgence in people who are reading. Although what was fascinating was the statistic also showed that readership has changed slightly and that more readers read for pleasure now than ever before. It used to be you'd read for the news, you'd read for other things. Mm -hmm. Now it was something, it was something crazy, like 98% of people who read strictly for pleasure. Uh, yeah. I thought was fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure that with this pandemic, um, people are looking for more to do, um, more to read, which is a silver lining, I suppose, that comes out of it. 
Um, yeah. So I, I could definitely see that statistic increasing once we get to yeah. our 20s numbers. And what you said about ebook is interesting too, because uh, it's only ever made about 25% of the market, right? Ebook never took off like it, it thought it would. Mm -hmm. Although I am experimenting with some uh, ebooks actually this weekend out in the field. Uh, and I'm trying out ebook to see how can they be improved? Because ultimately, right, the future is going to be digital because there's only so many trees, right. so much paper we can use. Uh, so the future is digital, but how can we make the ease of access to get into uh, ebooks and you know more people than ever that was another statistic i read are reading entire books on their phones which to me i don't know about you my phone's like is it not the biggest so when i'm reading on the phone i find myself having to zoom in yes uh, so but people are doing it. so no not judging if anybody's reading uh, <laughs> books on the phone i'm gonna attempt it this weekend i'm gonna do a whole ebook study but anyways, uh, I'm curious about Stranger Roommates. That's what I, that's really why I want to jump into. It's your first humor publication, mm -hmm. uh, capturing the couple, uh, the, that colorful experience that everybody has, I think, at some point in their life of a bad roommate. Mm -hmm. uh, why did this subject resonate with you enough to write a piece and write a piece for publication? Is And also a follow-up is you plan on contribute, uh, continuing to do humor writing. But first... You know, why write this? <laughs> so, and I was thinking about this too. So I feel like as writers, we are struck by whatever hits us emotionally the hardest. And that's where some of the greatest writers and the greatest publications come from is when you're really happy or really in love or really upset and being angry or frustrated is right up there. Um, especially if you look at some of the great women writers of the time, they're mad about stuff and they want to get it out. And that's what mm -hmm. resonates with people because readers can say, Oh, I totally relate to that. Um, and so I was seeing a pattern. Um, and I actually, I use this phrase for people who know me, friends and family that I can be a magnet to uh, certain bizarre people and scenarios. So uh, <laughs> roommate after roommate, I was kind of noticing this pattern and I was like, you know, you, you get so frustrated and I found it kind of as a way to express that frustration, but in a way that people can laugh at and relate to. Um, because like you said, I mean, everyone at some point in their life is, is going to deal with it. Um, and better to do so in kind of a positive way. Uh, so I, I, that was the first thing when when I got kind of recruited to do this project that came to mind and it was still pretty fresh um so I had some some fresh memories right right at the get-go to kind of jot down uh and I, I thought it would be something people would enjoy as as humor and as something that it could relate to for sure mm -hmm. and you know what you said about writing uh you, you know you felt it right anger and you write from these emotional points and it's fascinating because when you look at it from a business standpoint, uh, the high emotions tend to be the books that sell the best. So, for instance, a book on humor, mm -hmm. uh, book, uh, scary books, right? Thrillers. Like it's books that elicit some response because I was saying to my students the other day, uh, did you ever go for a hike in the woods and it has no payoff? It's just two hours of you just walking around the woods and you're like, yeah, this is fine. But at what point is payoff going to happen? And I feel like a lot of times we fall into those traps in the literature as well, where we write these books 
that don't have the payoff or, or the payoff is just so infinitesimal that it's just, what's the point? Like, because we only have so much time, right? So I love the fact that you captured uh, an extreme emotion and you did it in a way that, uh, you know, made people laugh. And I think that's wonderful. You took a, a tense situation and you brought some hilarity to it. Let's I go. did my very best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'd be fascinated. Anybody's listening. Uh, at some point, if you want to share your bad roommate stories, we could even put them up on our, uh, <laughs> our website along with this story and uh, share additional bad roommate experiences. Because that is, I feel like there could be a whole book on just bad roommates. Oh, <laughs> oh so many books. <laughs> so many. Long books. Uh, so do you plan on continuing humor? Like, is this something that you're into now? Like, are you going to follow this path? You know, it's interesting because um, working with and studying under Gina Barreca and how close she is to humor writing, I always sort of felt like I was looking at it through like a window or some kind of glass plate because I couldn't really connect to it as a writer myself because I felt like I... I didn't have what it took to be funny in writing. Um, mm. And who knows, you know, where that kind of came from. But when I was tasked with this, and it was something that I knew I had to do because I had committed to it, it seemed to just sort of come naturally. Um, and I, I like to consider myself a funny person in real life, but I feel like translating that to writing is its own sort of challenge. Um, but I definitely would like to explore it more. I think uh, because I had such a positive experience with writing this story um, and seeing that it could be something easy and enjoyable for me that I would definitely give it another try. Um, and it's just a matter of sort of recording my day-to-day -day experiences because there's a ton of funny stuff <laughs> happening to me every day, every week, so. Well, th that's exactly what Joan said a couple weeks ago when we had her on here was I asked, where do you get your, your humor from? Like, where do you find funny? And she said, funny is all around us. Like, she gets it just sitting at the kitchen table. You just look around, you observe, and you document. And then that in itself can become uh, humorous, right? It's, the, it's yeah. everything you're witnessing. So, you know, you're, you mentioned Gina Baraka. You graduated you know, fairly recently in 2017. So you're you're on the you're early on the road as a writer, right? Yet you've accomplished a lot since you graduated. Um, how have you been navigating sort of that landscape, right? Over the last three years, one of which has been a pandemic. Yep. Um, and, you know, and ultimately, how do you find? And ultimately, like, uh, what's your advice, right, for anybody listening that's graduating next year and wants to pursue a career in writing? My own students might be tuning into define and define success <laughs> in terms of navigating it was definitely a culture shock or just a shock in general moving from college life to post-grad life um and i had been working mostly through college so in that way i at least had kind of a, a toe in the water um but suddenly everything changes you are working you know eight to five monday through friday it's not waking up at 10 and dragging yourself to class and you know but uh it's sort of rigid there's schedule changes there are expectations put on you and um 
the reality is, is that you might not be jumping into your dream job right out of college. And it's more likely than not that you are not. Um, and so I was kind of navigating that first summer after college. And it was sort of about building up my writing portfolio and paying the bills and figuring out what I wanted to do. So it was a good kind of first stepping stone, but I knew it was easy to see what I wanted and what I didn't want. Um, yeah. And so it was a matter of dabbling in different career areas um, and, and doing the work on the side that I knew was going to get me to a point that I wanted to be at in my career. Um, and so in terms of success, uh, what I would define it as is setting realistic goals for yourself that will make you happy because mm -hmm. you can set a goal that you want to be rich or you want to achieve a certain status level or title, but at what cost? What are you sacrificing to get there? I mean, you could hit a certain number, you could get a certain title, but are you happy with it? Are you working in an industry that you're passionate about? Um, so kind of taking that into consideration when you're setting your goals, like I want to be working in an industry or doing something that I'm passionate about and reach, you know, a point where I'm financially comfortable. I don't have to be a billionaire by the time I'm 30 um, or be the director or CEO of a company. Um, and so I feel like creating those realistic goals short-term and long-term are better because they're more achievable. And when you achieve something, you feel really good about yourself. And so it kind of is like building up that happiness overall. Yeah. So. I mean, that's yeah. what I do every day is short-term goals, long-term goals, and kind of putting in the work, um, but making sure that I'm working towards something that's definitely going to make me happy. My uh, business partner, Colin Hostin, echoes what you're saying by saying um, progress is still progress. So each day, uh, if you're making progress, that's something, right, to be celebrated. It doesn't – we set these sometimes uh, – I call it the unachievable goals, right? We create these goals and put this pressure on ourselves that you must do this by this age and you must be do this by this and by this and you must have this. And in the end, all you end up really discovering is you're living your life on fast forward, you know, as you're trying to constantly get to that next hurdle, that next yeah. thing, that next thing. The next thing you know, you look back and you go, wow, 10 years flew by really quickly. Mm -hmm. So progress is still progress, right? And define success uh, based on your happiness and what you're doing to to achieve that. So I, yeah, that's that's really really great, and it's it's nice to hear that you're not putting those goals like if you'd said by thirty I'm gonna have three uh, New York Times bestsellers, right? Like I I, I love the, the that, but you know maybe it's one New York Times bestseller, maybe it's six. Who knows? But uh, don't put the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All right. So I'm curious, change, you know, just kind of changing gears a little bit on this is, you know, a lot of the people I talk to seems like, especially in the literary world, right, you're pursuing a career in writing. How do you feel about it's kind of almost sometimes the dirty word nowadays is networking people like I say networking to people and their reaction to it is often very different. Some people view it uh, very negatively because in some ways you say networking and it could seem disingenuous because it's, you know, could be seen as uh, using someone. 
other people see networking actually is just increasing your friend base and just being more personable and, you know, outgoing and putting yourself out there and saying yes to opportunities. But it's kind of that weird middle ground. It's like, is the glass half empty? Is it half full? How do I approach this? So what has been your experience uh, with networking in this industry? You know, like, how have you, have you found it useful? Do you recommend it? What are your thoughts? All things networking. <laughs> so I do think it's important. Um, I say that with the caveat that whomever that you are networking with, you will eventually have to follow up with what you can offer. So mm. I think networking is, is definitely important. I did a lot of it at college, post-college. Um, and a lot of people, I agree, seem to think that it's or, or can be conditioned to think that it's all about who you know. And that's not necessarily the case um, because I, I've had a surprising amount of luck with, you know, cold pitching or cold emailing people because um, of how I strategize that. So, you know, how I back it up if my resume is targeted, um, if I'm pitching specifically instead of just saying, oh, I'll write for you. Um, and so I think it's important to network to build your own community and your professional community. And, you know, um, whether I am looking for writers to help me or if I'm looking for someone to edit or if I'm looking for a publication to contribute to, I have those people in mind that I know. So in the future, something good could come out of that. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it all comes down to what you're going to offer and follow up with. And so if, if you don't have what it takes to back it up, then, you know, you're kind of sweat, but what are you contributing that you're expecting mm -hmm. to get from other people? It has to be kind of a reciprocal sort of thing. Yeah. You, you I think you really hit it there with reciprocal because, you know, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, Jim Childs, who's the publisher for, um, time Inc. And uh, he actually, I was, was talking to him about networking a while back and he said something really fascinating, which is it goes both ways. It can't be a one-sided relationship. And it's one of those things, you know, like for instance, you probably get this all the time. I'll get the LinkedIn requests where somebody, I don't know, I have no idea who you are. You just find me because you look up my title or something online. And then you shoot me this long, like three paragraph uh, direct message on why I need to give you my time and energy. Yes. I don't know who you are. Nothing's coming out of this relationship whatsoever. Other than the fact that a stranger just says to me, hey, next Wednesday, I want two hours of your time. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, and these things happen like pretty regularly. And to me, it, it felt, uh, at first I was flattered the first time I ever received, somebody wants my time, who would want my time? And then after the first couple, I, I was like, well, this just seems a little suspicious. And now I'm at the point now, I, I mean, a lot of times I don't even reply back. I just delete them because it has to go both ways, right? Right. Uh, you have to be, I, I, and it's funny because I, I hate that term networking. I actually just prefer uh, friendship. So, you know, way back before this term was, in, you know, used so broadly networking, I would go somewhere, uh, let's say, a, a, I don't know, a publishing conference, and I would just meet people get a drink, yep. laugh, have some fun. And, uh, you know, maybe you become social media friends and that's it. And maybe, maybe five years later, uh, you could think of that person and go, oh, you know what? I'm working on a children's book. And I remember they were into this kind of children's book. What the 
if they're interested. Mind you, this has been five years of liking each other's posts, yeah. uh, you know, chatting about random things. You develop an actual friendship. And if something can come from that friendship, great. But I don't think that should be the goal, at least in my opinion, why network. Like, <laughs> I think that's where the networking gets the dirty word because it becomes, you know, uh, the dark side. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, it's it's hard for young people, especially recent grads, too, because that's what they're being told they have to do. And as someone who's kind of already established and receiving sort of like intern applications or whatever, or pitches, it can get kind of overwhelming if you have 10 people emailing you saying, let me write for you. But, um, but the ones that stick out have that sort of personal element, like I would love to help you or, you know, and, and somehow, it, you know, I would help you, you would help me again, that whole reciprocal idea. Um, and so it can be tough for young people for sure, because you're, you're trying to navigate transitioning into like full on adulthood. I quote that because what is adulthood? Um, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, you're, because you, you sort of go into this mindset that everything has to be super formal and, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Not that it should be informal, but you're talking to people and you're having conversations and it goes a little bit more than just, this is my resume and this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm so happy you brought up what does adulthood mean? <laughs> you know, a writing prompt recently and I said to the class, hey, everyone, uh, describe being an adult in one word. And almost every, actually just about every, what? Every single person, they're a negative or at best neutral word to describe being an adult. And I said, okay, we wrote down all the, you know, I wrote down all the words on the board and I said, all right, now looking at this list, we're selling being an adult to a kid, would they want to buy this item? And you know, like everybody was like, no. And I said, you know, because everybody uses the same words, right? It's, um, it's work, responsibility, uh, conformity. And I said, all of these things on being an adult, you're just prescribing to, to movies that you've seen as a kid and maybe what you've seen from your parents. You Being an adult is what you actually make it. Yep. And I think that is what a lot of people, and I have to remind myself that regularly, because what does being an adult mean? That's a, a great topic. I feel like you could do a whole, a whole session just on being an adult. No, for sure. <laughs> I probably couldn't be an expert on that show, but I could certainly provide some input. All right. So, you know, I'm curious, you're coming from the younger writer's perspective. You've got kind of your thumb on the pulse in the community. Where do you see things shifting the most in the writing community? So for one thing, um, having worked with, now that there are people kind of, I used to be kind of the kid of everything. And now that there are interns coming in who are younger than me, um, there are a lot of really good writers, really strong writers coming out of, you know, of graduating, um, which I think is, is demonstrating the importance that quality writing is being taught and valued. Um, I'm seeing kind of going back to the whole resurgence of, of reading and kind of print um, and seeing that people are still being curious about wanting to learn and that people are valuing good, smart writing. 
Um, people are valuing the sources of where they're getting their information. And that's super important today, especially because everything is at your fingertips. Um, and it's, it's showing me that especially more young people are, are valuing those, those kind of sort of traditional ideas about writing and what is good writing and what is smart writing and, and how can you back it up with actual facts and information. Um, and so I've been seeing a lot of that, even though, I mean, I work in a magazine interest, uh, industry of, you know, the publishing industry. So it's more about entertainment writing for me, but kind of as an observer, that's what I'm seeing. And it, it, it's nice that people are curious and still open to learning. And um, especially the younger generations coming in are more open-minded about changing their perspectives based on what they're reading and if they read a conflicting idea and how you can kind of uh, synthesize those. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned curiosity because I, I, I think that's the basis with which, you, you know, we do everything, right? That sense of curiosity keeps us going. Although I did teach a, a class criminal justice majors a number of years ago. And it was funny because the writing prompt was on curiosity and every single one wrote some version of curiosity killed the cat and curiosity is a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, I go, curiosity? And it was like, <laughs> it is, it's fostering that curiosity and don't be, being, don't be afraid to ask why, right? And, and why, why, why? Mm -hmm. uh, all right, so lastly, three things, right? Um, uh, coffee or tea? What are you? Coffee, <laughs> always. And you know, it's funny. Coffee. I have this. Um, and it's it's funny because uh, depending on who is seeing that tattoo, they'll say, oh, I love your coffee cup or I love your tea cup. And I never correct them because to each their own, I'm not a tea drinker. I am pretty much 85% coffee at this point. Wow. <laughs> how, do you, how do you have your coffee? That's the next thing then. Um, black with a sweetener. Wow. All right. Coffee. Get that from my mom. And hello, mom. I see you watching. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what, uh, what gets you out of bed each morning, right? What's one quote, motto, song? What are you living your life to? What's the, what do you got? Well, I'll be, I'll be honest. The coffee definitely gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just really kind of inspired by that are happening right now to change the world for the better and that always starts with you as an individual and uh i've always wanted to be this version of myself that's that's that i can be proud of that is that kind of version of success um that i'm looking for and every day i get the chance to be a better writer be a better professional be a better woman and be a better human uh, and so taking that into consideration and saying, okay, this is a brand new day. I'm going to get my coffee in an hour or two. Uh, I'm going to work as hard as I can, do my best, try to put good energy into the world, try to make a difference, big or small. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are a bunch of songs or poems that can speak to that. But um, I mean, physically getting me up in the morning, it's the coffee. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm drinking it right now. It's pretty much intravenous 
and just do a caffeine drip all day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so lastly, um, a final piece of advice, a tip, you know, what do you want anybody uh, listening right now to know? Well, I, it's funny because this is almost the most like simple, straightforward question. I had the most trouble with coming up with an answer for this because I wanted to say something sort of vaguely inspirational, like you have to work hard and put good energy into the world. But if I say that it's, you know, for those who are in marginalized communities, uh, I would expect nothing less than the biggest eye roll because the systems that are currently in place are not designed for those people to succeed by just working hard and putting in good energy because people are doing that. And so I would just say, be smart, keep being curious, keep learning, keep being loud about what's right, about human rights, about civil rights, um, and about changing the system for the better for everyone. And so that starts at the very bottom of making sure that you're reading, doing your homework, trying to get the best out of your education, trying to utilize all your resources um, and being the best version of yourself to help the world be the best version of itself. Oh, did oh. I resign you? Sorry about that. That's okay. So, uh, you know, that was wonderful. And that, uh, I really appreciate you being a guest today. And thank you for everybody listening. Uh, please, please check out, uh, Erica Bueller, uh, dot wordpress.com, uh, B U E H L E R dot wordpress.com. And if you have any questions at all uh, about this episode, anything we've said, please email me at, uh, David at woodhallpress.com. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, uh, if you're, you're a writer, you're somebody in the industry, uh, again, please email me, david at woodhallpress.com. Thank you all for being here. Thank uh, you.